some companies are doing interesting things. Look at um, Amazon, uh, the Fire TV Omni series has sensors in it that can tell if somebody's in the room. And, and this goes back to using your TV as artwork. Uh, it says, oh, hey, Phil's in the room. I'm going to put up this thing that we call the ambient display, which is artwork uh, and widgets. And if nobody's in the room, I'll go dark. But if somebody walks in the room, I'll turn it on. For decades, the term television set was synonymous with fancy furniture. An imposing cube of wood, plastic, or glass, dominating the corner or cabinet within which it was placed, yet often with a screen that seemed disproportionately small compared to its bulk. So when a science fiction film needed to reinforce its futuristic setting, well, all it had to do was make a TV impossibly thin, immeasurably wide, or both. Star Trek built displays into the bulkheads of its starships and space stations, using control panels that could become monitors on demand. Everyone remembers the floating holographic computer interface from Minority Report, but the same movie gave us transparent, freestanding monitors and wall-sized TVs rendered by holographic projectors. Meanwhile, movies like Antitrust predicted the era of personalization that would arrive with the smart TV, with wall-mounted displays registering the entry of new people into a living room and altering their displayed artwork to suit that person's tastes. And Black Mirror, as ever, presciently painted a picture of advertising gone too far, with televisions that checked to see if you were actually watching the commercials they force-fed you 24-7. Here, in 2024, we've already seen some of these advancements cross the threshold into the real world, while others are right on our doorstep. TVs are thinner than ever before. Some of them roll away or become artwork when you don't need them. And yes, transparent displays really are a thing for those with the means and the use case to buy them. Yet at the same time, I'm still trying to figure out why TVs from different manufacturers function so differently in a world where smartphones and even PCs have become downright easy to use. It's enough to make me wonder just how smart the modern smart TV is. So I'm talking with someone whose job it is to demystify them for the average viewer. Someone who was around for the transition from dumb CRT to ultra-smart OLED, for the move from over-the-air to cable to internet-delivered TV and back to over the air again, because everything, everything is a cycle. This is Living in the Future a podcast powered by MediaTek that tells the story of technology that's evolved beyond the TV screen, transformed from fantastical cinematic science fiction to actual products that change the way we live and work. I'm your host, Michael Fisher, and this is Episode 8, How the TV Got Smart. This podcast is sponsored by MediaTek, which brings theater-quality viewing experiences right into your living room. The company's AI enhancements and imaging technologies automatically adjust picture quality to reveal incredible detail. And since MediaTek is the number one chipset provider for smart TVs, there's a good chance that your TV is powered by it. Thanks to MediaTek for sponsoring this podcast.
Mackinson, you are a veteran of over 15 years of writing about mobile and home technology with roughly, a, I don't know, a billion bylines at Android Central. You're the YouTube artist formerly known as Modern Dad. We've done videos together, in fact. And these days, you head up the home theater section at Digital Trends. Thanks for taking the time to talk home tech with this mobile man. How are you? That is the nicest way anyone has ever called me old. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I need the company, to be honest. Fair enough. Um, I, thank you for carving out time. You know, I, I, have, uh, I cover mobile tech uh, for a career, and it's my primary interest category. And staying at home, you know, I, I, I almost instantly get lost unless I have an expert around. So I want to let everyone know out there, in addition to your credentials that I just spelled out, uh, how they can relate to you in terms of their buying decisions. What make and model TV are you mostly watching at home and why i am i'm the wrong person to ask because i do this stuff for a living uh you know <laughs> the last time i, I bought understand. a tv was when so so behind me and you can see this the good folks at home cannot it's a bl big black screen it looks just like every other television out there this is a we're gonna it, get it, to that yeah it's an lg oled um i don't remember what year maybe 2020 so at this point, as we record this, we're coming into 2024. You got a you got a three year old TV on your wall. You got a four year old TV on your wall. How about that? Why would? Wow. When was the last time you put a TV in? Do you know how much of a pain it is to put up on the I wall and get rid of an old one? Certainly do. So much so that I pay people to do it because right. I will not absolutely will not risk it. As a matter of fact, my TV is a year older than yours. Mine is a 2019. So that's interesting. But do you? So wait, is this is this a C10, the CX, whatever? Is this is this something that you are happy enough with, or you just don't want to mount another one? Both. Yes. Okay. Look, I mean, yeah, I, I miss covering phones for a living, too, where they came in little, like, shoebox-sized things, right? These yes. are a pain. In fact, this is the second uh, second model of this I had, because the first one they sent broke in transit, which is a thing oh, that happens. Geez. These yeah, things are, of course that's a thing that happens. Yeah. They're huge. They're monstrous. It's, you know, TVs are not the sort of products that people replace every year or two like they do phones, and they shouldn't, right? That That's horrible for the environment. It's a pain in the butt. Uh, it's It's right. just, it's not the way it should be. Well, and we're starting to see that that similar kind of behavior in phones as we get away from a one-year upgrade cycle into a two and three and even four-year upgrade cycle, even on phones. So I think we're going to cover a lot of these parallels between the mobile and TV world. But let's start with just this the nature of hardware kind of plateauing. I mean, you know, I complain frequently that phones have become all kind of nondescript, um, indistinguishable black slabs unless you have a foldable. And TVs, it seems like, got there even faster than phones did, with a couple exceptions we'll talk about in a second. TVs are all kind of the same these days, now that the the race to the thinnest, you know, is effectively over. Do you think we have other innovations in hardware to look forward to, or is, just, is this just it? Should we just be content with TVs the way they are? Yeah, and, and we're not going to get into the business side of things, because neither one of us took that many math classes. But <laughs> hardware enough. is hardware, right? Like, there, there's only so far they can go before it becomes so expensive that nobody can afford to buy it. So, so there are limits to mm. where they get. So you have, these, you have these levels. You have OLED, which is still the creme de la creme. 
you know, it's uh, uh, organic light emitting diode. Yes. That's the display technology, right? Yes. And the big deal about OLED is each teeny tiny individual little pixel physically turns itself off and on, which is what lets mm-hmm. the blacks be really black and the, the colors be really bright. And then you right. have, you know, a step under it. And this is where the names start getting really awful. You have QNED or QLED and things with quantum dots and you know, LG has one name, Samsung has another, and they all sort of do the same thing, but not really. I don't worry so much about that, which drives my writers nuts. But, you know, there's OLED and then there's everything else. Um, right. And, and there's well, nothing inherently I, wrong I, with it. I relate to that. Yeah. So I'm I'm a bit of an OLED junkie myself. Um, I, we're not going to talk to listeners. Don't worry. We're not going to get too far in the weeds on this. But I remember laying in bed with one of my first smartphones and noticing that the display, which was an LCD at the time, when in the black areas of an image I was looking at weren't truly black. They were kind of a dark gray. You could still see the light coming through. And then I started learning about what an OLED display was. And the minute I got a smartphone with an OLED display, and I think it was a Windows phone, actually, so it really hit hard, and the tiles were floating on this, the, the tiles of the interface were floating on this sea of pure black because, as you say, the pixels are off when they're not uh, when they're not being you know yep. used to display anything. When they're being used to display blackness, they are also off. So, I I don't think I will ever get over that. I think I'll be an OLED lover until I die, which makes it. Very sad that I have a 2019 TV that is not an OLED TV. <laughs> by, by the way, my first OLED device, you never forget your first, the Zune mm-hmm. HD. Oh, RIP. I miss it. I never it. had a Zune. We I should think talk I still about have it. I think it's in my closet. at some point. Um, but let's talk about this. Like, So, okay, right. So the, the, the things that set them apart are their display technologies, their display qualities. The hardware is almost ex- entirely uniform, except... For my TV, which is Samsung's The Frame, which becomes artwork when it's turned off, and that has only gotten better over the generations as as their their particular dual layer display, they've really perfected it. And now you buy a Frame twenty twenty three or whatever it is, you turn that sucker off, and it really looks like a painting. It's it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Mine looks kind of like a painting, and that's good enough for me. But are there other examples of of TVs with that that kind of disappear when they turn off, like that that the, the rolling one that didn't ever seem to make it to market or yeah, the and, Star and, Trek ones that I'm really into. And the frame isn't the only one that tries to do the artwork thing. LG does it too. They have, they have a whole artwork, you know, section in there that you can download new stuff. There's stuff that came with this. Um, huh. Another thing that they're getting better at uh, with OLED is, is the panel tech itself. You, you can see mine here. You can see the reflection off it. You can like see the other side of the room. Like it's a mirror. They're, they're doing yeah. better with OLED displays at, at getting more of a matte finish which is good because mm-hmm. uh, that's a real problem. I, I have to kind of keep it dark in here a little bit just so I'm not getting reflections off the thing. Uh, so right. the tech is coming a long way in that regard. Um, Do you think we'll get to a place where these, like the, the, the roll-away display that LG made, you know, what what, what do they call it? The, the rollable R? Or yeah, I forget like the name that. of it. Again, like really cool, really not cheap. And just not the sort of thing <laughs> yeah. most people would buy. The LG OLED R was the official name, as a matter of fact. And if you folks out there cannot visualize this, it is easy to do. It's a TV, except it's freestanding. It's not mounted on your wall. And when it, when you want it to go away, when you turn it off, it disappears into the base, into this freestanding base that it's built into because it kind of rolls itself up in there. It's a flexible display. It's like an upside down window shade. Wouldn't yep. you say, Phil? 
Yeah, and and they make uh, protector screens that do that too, which is really cool. It's I like going back and looking at press images of all this stuff as as we get them when they're announced because it's all in the most ridiculous settings you ever see. It's all in like New York City penthouses and and you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, Laguna Beach mansions and like none of it's in my little split level ranch suburban home like here with with kids crawling all over right. the place. I I will say this I. I do not have any faith that we are on the cusp of this becoming a thing. But, you know, in Star Trek Discovery, when they, um, on the bridge, they've got those freestanding TVs that are transparent. Yep. And they they display, to, like, you know, sci-fi interface graphics on them. And you can see them from both sides. So it's perfect for a cinematographer. Um, I thought those were all CGI. It turns out they're not. Those were, uh, those were actual, like, physical panels that they made and integrated into the set. And I saw one of them for the first time at CES, I think yep. a, a year ago, almost. And I believe it was at the LG booth, and possibly Samsung. Those are the kind of two big names in the space. And I couldn't believe I was I was looking at an image being projected on this essentially pane of glass in front of me that someone on the other side could also watch, except in reverse. Backwards. So it has no practicality. <laughs> Maybe that's why we're going to be stuck with rectangles forever. Let's it talk does, about just not um, for you and me. There are businesses could use yes. it. Um, it's it's <laughs> yeah. We we have to remember that this sort of technology isn't only used in the home. True enough. Yeah, you're talking retail displays or um, you know factory control room kind of kind of things. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about uh, a user interface thing. Now I have had to make some effort to avoid making this episode um, into a nonstop complaint avalanche from yours truly. And I'm not going to do that, but I, I do want to, I do just want to ask you a simple question. I just got back from my dad's house where I spent a part of the holiday. And one of the last things I did for him before leaving home was to write him a set of instructions for how to watch Below Deck, which as we all know is the most excellent reality show on TV. Those instructions that I wrote out came out to a full page in length. Why does it feel like TVs are so far behind uh, phones and tablets or even even PCs when it comes to interface design? What happened, Phil? <sighs> Gather round, children, while I tell you the tale of... I don't know. It's been <laughs> bad forever. Um, it's, I, I am of the mind that TVs should be dumb displays. I want as few smarts in them as possible. I essentially want them to be a computer monitor. And even that's getting harder to do these days. End of the day, it all comes down to advertising now. Sure, sure. And well, we're going to get to advertising yeah. for sure. But I mean, you you would like a computer monitor on your wall that is 65 inches or whatever, that you could plug a what, like a Roku, you know, or a, or a, a Fire Stick or a Chromecast into and just use that interface, the, the one that you choose? The journalist in me wants to be agnostic on that sort of thing and be able to uh, 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 independently evaluate all of the platforms in fairness. Mm -hmm. uh, and end of the day, I keep coming back to Apple TV as the one that's like the least problematic and, and kind of for the same reason, because it's like, here are the icons of the apps you want to use, um, mm -hmm. you know, because my brain can handle like figuring out what service shows are on and movies are on that I want to watch. But yeah, but that's it's, it, it, I want a, a big screen that I can plug something else into because go back to what we started with, which is these things are a pain in the butt to move around and swap out. I want to be able to swap out the hardware I'm plugging into it as a new one comes out next year. And, and never mind, like, 
Apple TV, you know, you can get really good Fire TV sticks. You can get really good Roku stick, you know, for less than a hundred bucks. And to be able to swap that out cheaply and easily every year, every two years, whatever, is a big deal. See, what's funny is I think you and I are different in that respect because I agree with you. I think that's a really rational place from which to approach it. But I want a TV that's integrated. I want to, I want the smarts to be built into the TV. You can update it over the air with software. I don't want to worry about attaching a dongle that I have to like HDMI in and, you know, plug it into power and then hide that cord and stuff. No, I just want it all built into the TV and I want to forget about it. I like a, a unified concept there, but, but it doesn't seem like we had a moment like in smartphones, the, my God, it's such a well-worn story. We won't tell it, but 2007, the iPhone launches, everyone kind of realizes that the user interface on a phone needs to be demystified a little bit. And thankfully, Android was right there alongside it. And yep. we got two very strong competitors, actually three, actually four. Well, we had about five competitors there for a while that were all forced to kind of overnight rethink their um, user interface strategy. But it doesn't seem like that's that's really happened in, in, in TVs. My favorite interface that I've ever seen is LG's WebOS, which, of course, they bought from... HP after HP bought Palm and you know, all this kind of stuff. But I liked that I had a, uh, my friend bought an LG TV and I held the the remote and I had a little pointer on the yep. screen. Like the remote was a laser pointer. That's cool. Do you have that on yours? I do. I don't hate it. I never use it, uh, but I don't hate it. It's, <laughs> you don't own a car, do you? I do not. I live in New York City. So yeah. that would be uh, quite, a, wrote, quite a flex. I wrote something last week. Um, you know, kind of comparing the state of TVs. To, actually, I was talking about CarPlay and, and GM getting rid of CarPlay and stuff. Mm-hmm. All the automobile manufacturers have their own infotainment systems. And, and it's, it's yes. not a perfect metaphor. It's, it's sort of a tortured metaphor here. But they all have their own software. And it's, you know, varying degrees of awfulness. Some are better than others. TVs are kind of the same way to me. I would rather be able to plug in my phone and have one consistent user interface all the time, no matter the car I'm using, no matter the TV I'm using. You know, so I plug Apple TV into to a Samsung TV or an LG TV or Sony TV, and it just works the same way. Um, you know, same thing for a car. I plug my phone in. You know, CarPlay is CarPlay. Android Auto is Android Auto. Never mind what car I'm in. I think that consistency right. is important. That said, and I wish I had numbers. You know, nobody nobody puts out like good internal numbers of of how many people are actually plugging something else into the TV instead of the built-in right. Roku operating system, instead of the built-in Google TV operating system, which, by the way, I still like Google TV a lot. It's gotten really busy. Mm-hmm. I, I still think Fire TV OS is really good, too. Um, but I like being able to have the choice. I think it's important to have the choice. I think a lot of it probably comes down to whatever platform you're on. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and again, you and I are not great like, examples. You, by, by that, you mean... Yeah, but by that you mean like how you've decided the rest of your of your tech life functions. You're talking yep. about whether you are a uh, an Amazon household or a Google Home household or an Apple household that extends to your phones, to your computers, to everything. Exactly, because you're going to get that much more use out of something when it all works together nicely. Fair enough. I, I think that's that's a good point that I don't think about often because sometimes I'll want to actually most of the time when I want to cast photos, for example, to a TV, I'm at my dad's house, which is kind of a split Google Home and Apple household. And, um, you know, there's not the TV isn't a target for me for half the devices I'm, I'm carrying around. And do you think I mean. This is the direction that everything is going, though, right? We are all we are going to reach a future at which there's enough unification that your device 
the, the, the logo on your device isn't going to matter as much because we're already almost there, right? And no matter how much certain companies want to, or most companies want to build these, these walled gardens and build the walls up as high as possible, the demand from a consumer is always for maximum interoperability, right? You don't want to have a Thanksgiving and have a family member over who has the wrong phone and can't, uh, you know, share pictures from the latest cruise up on your TV because it's it doesn't get along with it. And it's, so, I mean, it's, you know, it's so much better than it used to be. You can, you can true. You know, cast things to Amazon TVs now. You can cast things mm-hmm. to Roku easier than you used to. AirPlay is built into most brand new TVs now as well. So it's, it's a lot better than it used to be. Um, it, it can still be janky. It can still be not quite as simple as going, you know, AirPlaying into an Apple TV can, can be tougher depending on the set you're trying to go into. The LG's native implementation of it is pretty good, I've found. Yeah. Um, so it, it just kind of depends. Do you? I, one of the things that I actually quite liked about that this season as I was um, using a phone to log into various family members' TVs, and, you know, you, you get down to Florida, say, and your mom's TV has a Netflix app, but they don't have a Netflix account. But now you can just have the TV displays a QR code. You take a photo of it with your phone. It, you, you enter in your credentials on your phone, and it, it, it has worked flawlessly for me this entire season. So you're right. It, it, there are far fewer headaches than there used to be, yep. which I like. Yeah, it's gotten easier. Hey, you know what I just remembered? Uh, LG did that TV last year at last year's CES that was like the suitcase TV. Yep. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> we did. Uh, Caleb Dennison just did a, an excellent video for Digital Trends on that. It's, it's, it, he loved it. I haven't Describe I haven't it for it. us. I haven't seen it. Yeah, paint, paint the picture. I haven't thought about it in like 10 months. So remind me what it is. It's what a it TV like. and a briefcase. That's what it is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big, thick briefcase with a TV and a big old battery in it. And but not, it a, not a terribly big battery. As I recall, the battery life was something like six hours or something, eight hours. It really didn't seem like that much. I believe in the store they see how many push-ups you can do before they sell you the one with the bigger battery. It's, yeah, <laughs> oh, I mean, I it's, it's trade-offs, right? Batteries equal weight, uh, among other things. And so yeah. you can't make it so it runs all day. You know, it's, it's occurring to me that TVs are um, owning, buying, wanting, using a TV has become a sort of a, th- a thing that only people who want to share an experience you know, can can relate to. Because with all of us carrying smartphones all the time and tablets and, you know, maybe for work, a laptop, if you are kind of a solo person, if you are a, a person who doesn't uh, have a big family and or, and is unattached or just introverted, you know, do you, do you really need a TV? You and because I, it, 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 yeah, yeah, you and I are of a certain age. When we first left home, you had to have a TV. You you had to make sure you had some sort of TV. It probably wasn't very big. We we tell yep. stories to my kids inches. of of the first TV. You know, my wife and I had together was like thirty inches and probably a CRT. Mm-hmm. And look at what yes. we have now. You know, I'm, the smallest TV in my house is seventy five inches. It's it's incredible. <laughs> and I'm sending a daughter off to college this summer. And I said, you know, you're probably not even going to have a TV, are you? Like they watch everything wow. on their phone and maybe on their laptop. What is she saying? Is is that is that yeah, true? Is why that would, why be would a... they buy a TV? My God, you're right. I specifically packed a TV for my freshman year of college, and it was a 13 inch color set. And I brought it to my you know tiny dorm room because Star Trek Enterprise was debuting that fall, and I needed something to watch that show on specifically. Yep. But um, yeah, now I would of course just watch it on my phone, like literally everything else. 
That's wild. Yeah. Um, there's uh, we talked about the the kind of the different platforms and the we talked a lot about the past. Um, I want to talk about the future, but before I do, I am constrained by my duty as a citizen of this decade to bring up the my my most hated feature of all time on any piece of technology ever. We just got out of the holiday season. A great many of us were home with our relatives, and many of us within that subset were desperately trying to figure out the whole time how to turn off motion interpolation. Phil, tell us what this hell-sent innovation is, why it was invented, and why it's the worst thing for every other kind of content. <laughs> it is... I don't know where it came from. I don't know who thought it was a good idea. Um if you don't know what it is, it's the soap opera effect. It's where everything looks a little too smooth. And there are reasons for that. There, Especially now when there's so much just crappy quality streaming out there. And it's nobody's fault. You're moving data around. It costs money. Stuff's going to get compressed. Um, and what it does is it uses the processor in the TV to interpolate is actually the technical word it uses. It inserts frames where there aren't frames. It says, oh, this, this looks horrible at 30 frames per second. We're going to create, not quite out of thin air, but out of thin air, another 30 frames a second and shove it in there and make everything nice and smooth. And I hate it. God. I hate it. It, 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 it is, it's a fascinating thing. I want to make the point just to, to if, if, if people aren't getting it, because what, what is fascinating, Phil, and I don't know if you've encountered folks like this, I love meeting people who can't tell the difference. Yep. Because I'm like, what, what do you mean you can't tell the difference? And this is how I feel whenever I put on a good set of headphones and some audio files. Like, isn't it amazing, the soundstage? I'm like, dude, I, do, I cannot tell. I'm so yep. sorry. Yep. I'm yep. glad you love it, but I can't tell. But with motion interpolation for me, for those of us who can see it, um, <clears throat> I will end up in a hotel very frequently traveling for work, watching a show that everyone else is raving about, and hotel TVs are very frequently set with this defaulted to on. So motion interpolation is turned on, and they often disable menus in hotel TVs so you can't turn it off. Yep. So I end up watching a show that is great, but when you watch it with these artificial frames in there, which happen, as you say, because the TV can display 60 or 120 frames a second, but most Film and TV is shot between 24 and 60 frames a second. So, yeah, it's putting in these fake frames, and it looks like it's it breaks something in my brain. It makes everybody look fake. Good actors suddenly render terrible performances. Have you noticed that, too? Yeah. I, I don't watch it. If I'm in a hotel, I travel a lot for my kids playing soccer. And if we're in a hotel where I can't turn it off, I turn the TV off. It's that bad. <laughs> Me too. I will default to my laptop. I won't even watch forensic files when there's motion interpolation turned on. And I watch forensic files no matter what. Um, anyway, I think th you said that um, it was added for reasons of um, what picking up dropped frames over like spotty internet connections that I, I said is not a use case I thought I, about. I, well, yeah. what about sports? Right. I think it was added for sports, wasn't it? Like Maybe. To, to make the but, film run faster and cleaner if you're watching a football game. But but even all the streaming services mostly, you know, and it's usually not their fault if it's not in 60 frames per second, but, you know, it, rare is the live sporting event that's not presented to you at 60 frames per second. It might be 720p, which sucks. But, you know, at least right. it's 60 frames per second. I would rather have 720p at 60 than, than 1080 at 30. And you're just not going to see okay. 1080. Agreed. Yeah. You'll notice, everyone, we have not talked about 8K, and uh, we won't. 
Nope. So <laughs> just to stay with motion interpolation one more time for two more topics. Variety did a great piece on this that I've uh, that I'm referencing for this. It's called uh, How to Shut Off Motion Smoothing and Why You Should. And I didn't realize this, but they wrote in the article here that in 2018, Tom Cruise and director Christopher McQuarrie, when working on Mission Impossible Fallout, released a public statement asking yep. viewers to turn off the setting while watching their film at home. I love that. I absolutely love that. It makes me want to get in front of every one of my YouTube videos and say, please don't change the speed of this video. It wasn't meant for that. Don't make me talk faster. I know I talk too much. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, and Variety also has a great list at the bottom of what each manufacturer calls this setting so you can find it more easily. That's the big deal. Uh, yep. I love this. Yeah, because as you were saying before, every manufacturer calls every technology something different, something branded. LG calls it true motion. Roku calls it action smoothing. Samsung calls it auto motion plus. Sony calls it motion flow, which I think is nice. Vizio calls it smooth motion effect. Yada, yada, yada. There are about 10 of these. Check out Variety's story from uh, February 2022. How to shut off motion smoothing and why you should. It's great. Phil, I'm glad we're on the same side of this debate. The only time I've ever had uh, any experience with somebody who liked it was when I turned it off on my uncle's set. And he was like, oh, no, no, I like that on. Turn that back on. I'm like, oh, wow. Didn't know. I'm sorry. I must you. go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's pivot to the future, Phil. That's why we're here. Boy, I really hate this. So I don't want to end on it. We got we to gotta tackle another thing I hate. Two in a row. I did not know that TVs are already starting to sprout microphones and cameras. Oh, yeah. I got to be honest. I am not a huge fan of this. It feels like we, we have too many of those in our living spaces already. Why do we need them? And why should we believe that our privacy will stay intact? There are all sorts of reasons. It's all about data. It's all about advertising. Um, look, and some TVs will have you know, quote unquote cameras that actually look at the screen or look at the, the ambient lighting around the screen to adjust things. There, there are all kinds of reasons. Um, and, and I can't help but think about telly, uh, which is this, you know, TV that came out earlier in 2023 that, that is all about showing you advertising and, and watching what you're watching and watching you. And it just, yeah, I'm not a fan of the, I'm not a fan of the camera either. Um, I like having the option. So with it, well, yeah, I mean, look, having the option is fine, but why do you want it at all? Like, what for what features is the camera useful? The only thing I can think of that would make a user, that would, that would lead to a real user benefit is video calling on your TV, right? Yeah, yeah and okay. you can do that, um, you know, again, I, I use Apple TV mostly. Uh, TVOS 17 and, and iOS, what are we up to? 17. They play really nicely together. You can make, I did, I did a post on this at DT. You can very easily do Zoom calls or FaceTime now using your phone as the camera and have it all show up on the TV behind you. And it, it looks just like you're using a computer monitor, only better because you're using an iPhone camera. You, there sure. are ways to do this that give the user more control. But when you say, why do we have you know cameras built into a TV or, or coming with a TV? It's not about you. It is absolutely not about you. It's about what they can get from you by doing that. Well, and to that point, I one thing I saw in a report um, also from Variety, which I guess I'm reading a lot of these days, absolutely sent chills down my spine. Building webcams into smart TV sets would help them become integrated into working from home, but would also provide advertisers data 
on who is actually viewing their ads. I mean, you, you can electric tape over that lens and that, that problem is solved. And then, you know, you can, I think that's the thing. I think it's an easy, it's an easy thing to address, much like laptop makers have addressed the webcam privacy things. You know, I'm happy enough that I can close my laptop and the camera literally cannot see me. Yep. But I love that some manufacturers like Lenovo, um, I think HP, some others, include a physical shutter over the webcam that you can just hit a switch, a little piece of plastic goes over it, you get a little notification on your screen that your camera's covered, and and bingo. I think that's fantastic. I think that's that's what a manufacturer would need to do to make a TV with a camera something palatable to me. And it would it needs to be a physical thing, not a soft button that I can, you know, <laughs> it needs to be something I can see with my eyes yep. to verify that I my privacy is preserved. And ideally, a microphone cutoff of the same kind. But we didn't talk about the microphone thing. I think, you know, I, I don't know that microphones need to be integrated into TVs because they're already in the remotes, right? Do you ever use the voice recognition on yours? I don't. I don't use it much anywhere. I just, you know, maybe it's because I type for a living. I don't know. I prefer to see the, <laughs> right. you know, see the thing that I'm trying to, to, to query. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, some companies are doing interesting things. Look at um, Amazon, uh, the Fire TV Omni series has sensors in it that can tell if somebody's in the room. And, and this goes back to using your TV as artwork. Uh, it says, oh, hey, Phil's in the room. I'm going to put up this thing that we call the ambient display, which is artwork uh, and widgets. And if nobody's in the room, I'll go dark. But if somebody walks in the room, I'll turn it on. So I love that. So my frame knows when I'm in the room. So if I walk into the room or walk out of the room, it turns on and off right. and displays my artwork. But I did not realize that this came to the Fire TV Omni as well. And this has taken me way back to a movie called Antitrust. Did you yes. watch that in the late yes, 90s? I've seen it. Yep. There's a wonderful, there's a Tim Robbins character that's kind of like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs combined. And he has this uh, digital artwork in this in his massive mansion and um, yeah, anytime somebody walks into the room, the artwork reconfigures to meet their criteria. So, Phil, does that happen with the uh, with the Omni TV? Is it just does it recognize someone is in the room, or does it know it's you? I, you know, again, tinfoil hat. I would not surprise me to learn that it can pattern match, you know, gait or or stature or whatever. I actually interviewed uh, somebody at Fire TV a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about that. And I said, look, what about, because the new Fire TV Stick 4K Max has the ambient display, but it doesn't have a camera in it, obviously. And they said, well, yeah, but, you know, we can use other things that are connected in your house. You know, we, they could use an Echo speaker to tell if somebody's around, or I, I assume that's what he meant by that. You know, other sensors was, was how he described Man. it. So there, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be attached to the TV as long as it's in the same ecosystem and it's able to pull, you know, oh, hey, we have an Echo speaker over here. We have an Echo show over here. It can tell if somebody's around. Uh, if you haven't read the stories about how Wi-Fi can be used, uh, the way a Wi-Fi signal bounces back to the access point and can tell if somebody's in a room or not, that scares the hell out of me. And hey, who owns Eero now? Amazon. <laughs> See, that's fascinating to me. Because, you know, it doesn't surprise me all that much because I remember reading spy stories for when I was much younger and kind of pre-internet, really. Not pre-internet, but pre-the internet we know it today. Talking about just how you could uh, spy on a conversation in a room by bouncing a laser yep. off the window while you were across the street. Yep. And uh, it was, what, there was one... Uh, Star Trek episode where I think they were monitoring something from orbit 
and they could tune in and hear people's conversations on the ground. And I, until I learned about that spy story, I was like, well, that's bogus science fiction nonsense. But I guess you could do it from space, too, if you were more advanced enough. I'm really um, not that tinfoil hat, but, but we, we have no idea. <laughs> and I'm, you know, again, the equation is always nice to keep in mind. Like, how much potential privacy am I willing to surrender? But in exchange for what? If you give me enough conveniences, if you give me enough cool features, I will run the calculus every time and I will decide what I'm cool with. I'll do it and for Candy Crush. <laughs> well, see, different prices, yeah. different prices for different folks. Um, lastly, I don't I don't really want to get into streaming services because that that's just a never ending conversation. Um, and matter of fact, I don't even know if this is a question. I just want to say how much I love the rise of fast apps like Pluto TV I, we are, I could not believe it when I unboxed my frame, somebody else put it on the wall for me. And I think even at that time I tuned into like, what is it called? Samsung? I think it's just called Samsung TV. Yeah. Yeah. That's their fast and, service. And it's free. It is free TV, which of course you have commercial breaks. But when I grew up, we, we had cable TV that you paid for. Yep. And in addition to paying monthly for it, you also got served advertisements during it. This is the same exact thing, except you don't pay anything for it. It just uses your internet connection. So with Pluto TV, um, Samsung, and I think, uh, what's is Fubo uh, a fast service? Fu no, Fubo is not a fast service. It might have some fast channels built into it. And it's weird. You, you get these services that are all kind of hybrids now, too. Uh, Tubi is one of those. Tubi has a lot of on-demand content, That's but it also has I was thinking fast linear channels. And when you look at, I was trying to pull up the, uh, the the Tubi numbers real quick. It's huge. A lot, a lot, a lot of people are watching this stuff. Tubi is owned by Fox, so that's a big deal for them. And you're talking uh, hundreds of thousands of people watching this stuff every month for free. I mean, it's nuts. A free ad-supported television, folks, yes. by the way, is what FAST stands for, I should say. Um, are you, do you find yourself using it? Because I, I do. Like, I, I, I watch Pluto TV almost as often as I watch something like, you know, Prime Video or Netflix. It's funny how, how quickly you can disappoint yourself with it. Never meet your heroes uh, is the short <laughs> version of this. I decided to go back and binge Airwolf, which came out, I was probably five years old when it first aired. And uh, really? I didn't realize just how bad it was. It's not good. But I was no. able to go one episode after the next right there on, on Tubi, I think it was. And, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing what they have. I watched, uh, I woke up the other morning, I, I get up early and the family's asleep, and I put Miami Vice, the 2006 movie on, on uh, mm -hmm. Tubi, I think. And it's funny how the ads don't bother me on like a bad series, you know, from the 80s. But in a movie like Miami Vice, it totally kills the vibe. When you're invested yeah. and you, all of a sudden it smash cuts to a commercial break yeah. with no warning. Yeah. But 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 you're paying nothing for that. Exactly. You're, exactly. You're, you're getting it for the cost of your internet connection. Do you think those services are, are here to stay? I know I am no stranger to the lucrative nature of advertising. Do you think fast services um, will, be a, will be a growth space for oh, a while? Yeah, no, totally. They're already making money off them. Um, it's, it's, and it's funny seeing how content floats from one to the next. So they're all kind of, all the, the content owners are, are, just, you know, trading, okay, it'll be here now, it'll be over there next month and whatever. So they're making money off multiple companies. I think it's a good thing for consumers. Uh, options are always a good thing. 
Um, you know, you combine something like like Pluto and Tubi and, and the Roku channel, and a lot of these have live linear channels too, uh, including right. news, including some sports. You pair that with something like an over-the-air antenna, which I'm still a huge proponent of, because uh, you can set those up for a hundred bucks. You have a yes. whole lot of free content, more than you could watch in a in a typical daily existence. More TV that you should watch anyway. For free. <laughs> I had forgotten that. And this episode, you know, this was mostly about smart TVs, but I, I wouldn't feel right not letting you talk for at least a minute about your favorite bizarre retro tech TV thing. We, we are still in the year of 2024 broadcasting television signals over the air on terrestrial from, from radio towers. Yep. And you can capture those with an antenna that you can buy uh, and and pipe into your TV. How and try explaining that, that to my kids who are, are teenagers. They're like, "What are you talking about? What it broadcast? What?" And <laughs> and actually, there's a there's a future story there as well because all of these all of these broadcasts are happening in something called ATSC 1.0. Um, ATSC. AT, I don't even know what that stands for. I don't care. Uh, there's there's ATSC 3.0, otherwise known as next gen TV, which is it allows it to come into your house in 4K. Uh, theoretically, I think it can do Atmos audio. Don't quote me on that. Um, but it's the next, it, literally, it's the next generation of broadcast TV. We're seeing, you know, tuners are still in your TVs. Um, you cannot call something a television if it does not have a, a, a tuner built into it to accept a signal from an antenna. I was going to say, so the tuner is the piece of equipment in the TV that accepts the whatever the antenna is piping into it. And the antenna is something you literally put outside your house. Yeah, or, or a lot of people have indoor antennas. Okay, but um, and ATSC, what 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 makes this special? Like, I mean, with with fast, you know, with the, the, and all the traditional over the top services. Why do I care about ATSC? Is it just because I can pluck free TV from the air? Is there a local programming component? Like, no, it, why it's do I all care about it's all local. It's it's terrestrial, so you get the the TV signal from the towers nearby. You know, figure within a hundred miles. Um, ballpark. So like none of mine are actually in the town where I live. They're all in the next town over. Um, yeah. So I get my local ABC channel. I get my local CBS, local Fox, local NBC, and they all have sub channels as well. I get like 50 something channels off my antenna. I only, I only care all about the main the ones. Just for the cost of the antenna alone. Yep. Yeah. One, a one-time and cost. I do have, I do have mine plugged into, there are network uh, tuners that you can have. HD Home Run is an old big one, but the company's kind of falling apart. Mm -hmm. uh, Tableau just put out a new one in 2023 that has built-in storage, so you can record the over-the-air TV, and you can watch it not just on the TV that the antenna is plugged into. Instead, you plug it into the Tableau box, and you watch it on almost any device you want. So you're talking about a combination of, it sounds like, um, uh, Slingbox and a DVR. Yeah, yeah. This, it's the current the generation of that. Sling, now we're showing our age with Slingbox. But yeah, it's, it's, we've been showing our age for all day, Phil. That's true. Okay. Yeah, you plug your antenna into these things, and then you can watch that over-the-air feed on your phone, on your computer, on Fire TV, on whatever you want, on multiple devices. I love this. So not just antenna into your TV, and then you can only watch it on that TV. You can watch it on multiple devices. I, you've saved me, Phil. I have left. I, I was concerned that I would leave this episode with only fear and anger. And you have given me hope for a new thing, but that a new thing in the world of TV, I think this is just going to be the way of it for the next forever. I'm it's, shooting you some every links new as soon thing, as we're done. Please do. But every new thing that we get is uh, is going to be some variation on an old thing. Yep. 
And uh, I'm I'm glad to know that there's still a, a frontier to explore there. Is there anything coming up that hasn't been released yet in this world of, of television that you are particularly excited about? Yes, but I'm not allowed to tell you yet. <laughs> mm. That's the wrong time Come of year on, to ask me that question. friends here. Yeah, true enough. We're headed to CES, so no, no problem, Phil. Maybe we'll we'll bring you back on for a uh, for a future episode after we see all this cool stuff in Las Vegas coming up. Absolutely, Phil Nickinson, you are a gem. You are uh, the youngest looking old man I know, and uh, you know a lot more about TVs than I do. So thank you for your time today. Anytime, sir. Personally, just to keep the hope of a truly mind-bending future alive, I'm holding out for the freestanding holograms we see in Star Wars, or the personal projector badges from Star Trek Discovery. Because it seems to me that the next leap in TVs, after the software smartens up and we sort out the privacy concerns, won't be in resolution, but in depth. Yeah, we really didn't talk about 3D TVs because, frankly, they've become the perennial disappointment. But every few years, some company decides to give it another try. And each time, it's a little more mind-blowing, a little less compromised, and a little less costly. Whether those 3D displays come in the form of a screen on the wall, a projector on the tabletop, or a visor on your head is a question that'll have to wait for the true future. But I do think that's a future worth being excited for. If you have thoughts on that future, on TV or otherwise, send them to me. I'm online many more hours a day than I ever watched TV at Captain Two Phones. That's Captain, the number two phones, on threads and Instagram. Until next time, thanks once more to my sponsor, MediaTek, and thanks to you for listening. I've been Michael Fisher, and I'll see you in the future.